welcome to the Publisher Lab. John, we're back. We're back. We're back. I'm, I'm in London. Tyler's in San Diego. And uh, I think we're live. Are we, are we actually live? I know. I just noticed that thing up in the corner. Of the yeah, we're, we're live to you and me. I actually still have it as unlisted because we're still trying to you know, work out this, uh, this live podcast thing. I think we've got it down, so we may do... Uh, some live versions of it here here soon and maybe we'll we'll push that out to all of our listeners so if you guys happen to want to listen to it live we don't necessarily talk about like any breaking news or anything like that so i don't know that there's a huge benefit of watching it live but uh we've we've got a fair amount of traction so thank you to all the listeners that keep tuning in uh but yeah john not live today not live today well we're getting uh, we're getting all ready because we are meeting up in london soon and we have a whole bunch of stuff that we're lining up not going to not going to tell everyone yet, but we've got a, uh, a bunch of stuff that we're lining up, which should be fun. And some of it might be live, right? We get, that's yeah. why we're doing this. Yeah. And, and one of the things we can talk about a little bit is you and I are doing a web event here in about two weeks. Uh, it's site marketing, um, tips, and, um, and uh, also just site industry trends for 2017. So basically, all the things you need to know to grow your site in 2017, John and I are going to be really hitting on and diving deeper into a lot of those things. We talked about some of them on the podcast a couple a couple weeks ago, uh, but we're going to actually kind of go in a little bit deeper and answer some questions and things like that about that in this web event. So that'll be big. We've had we've had hundreds of signups, so uh, we hope that you'll join us live for that uh, that event. Yeah, that'd be great. That, I think that was one of the most popular podcasts that we've done for a while, wasn't it? The uh, uh, marketing and using the social channels and stuff like that. So uh, you're giving away all your secret sauce, Tyler. I know, and I'm giving it away for free. It's one of those things that's actually kind of frustrating to me. It actually saves me time and helps people quite a bit because it's, you know, we, we, we spend a lot of time in, in our business, a lot of times chatting with publishers and, and, you know, our team will bring me in to talk to some of the larger ones from time to time about SEO and site marketing and things like that. And um, really, I feel I, I repeat myself so much. And it's one of those things where, you know, I have publishers reach out to me, even from the podcast and stuff that will reach out to me on LinkedIn and say, hey, could you personally help me out? And my answer is almost always the same. It's like, if you follow the blog and listen to the podcast, I tell you everything that I would tell you one on one, the advice that I would give to you. Um, yeah. it's not going to be much different. There might be some little specific things, but if you pay attention, you're going to do yourself a huge favor by learning how to do this stuff on your own. Yeah, that's right. And then, and sometimes there is no other way other than to actually just knuckle down and, you know, start using those tools. There isn't a substitute for that. Having somebody do it for you, you're still, you, you can't kind of delegate that kind of work. Eventually you have to end up doing it yourself. Yeah, that's hundred percent true. So, John, what, do you, what did you want to talk about today? We kind of had like an interesting idea for um, for for a subject today. Yeah, I've had some really really great uh, meetings this week uh, with some super interesting publishers, and and some of the stuff that I thought that might be be good stuff to go over with our listeners is the uh, is strategies that publishers use. Some of which are, um, you know, underrated or not very you know well known about. Other ones, so so. I think everybody has a strategy, right? Some some of it's like a subconscious strategy. They're just, you know, putting out the content. And other people actually have, you know, these are the things that are that I'm gonna work on to try and get better at. And and obviously our job in this in this podcast is to try and unpack those things that work for different publishers. So um you know, it's a pretty broad subject title. So I just thought we would kick kick things around a little bit. Yeah, we kinda um, came up with the idea from uh you know, we were talking about like 
it's a lot of really successful publishers kind of started by being kind of accidentally successful, you know, and then, you know, we we're all, we, it kind of led us into another conversation about, you know, sometimes these these publishers that have become accidentally successful, there's elements of their strategy that are actually really poor or really ineffective that they could change. And so it kind of got us thinking, well, why don't we talk about some of those strategies that that have kind of people have kind of accidentally used to become successful and then talk about maybe some of the things that they have kind of hanging on from, um, you know, these ineffective things that they might still be doing. So we'll talk about the effective and the ineffective today a little bit. Yeah, that's right. And of course, all sites are, you know, are different. Um, but generally, I would say, um, if you're just starting out and you're just getting going with um, producing content online that you're making money from ads from, uh, actually not having ads at the beginning is a strategy, uh, which, uh, or having very light ads. So if you don't have the traction yet, trying to squeeze too much juice from that orange, you know, basically, that's the thing you're trying to um, uh, I've always used the analogy, you have to put in, you have to put in the effort first. So it's a bit like sitting in front of the fire and saying, like, give me heat, and then I'll give you some wood. You know, <laughs> basically, you can't jam. And I see this all the time with small publishers, particularly, uh, they want to get aggressive with their ads, because they want to make, you know, uh, yesterday, I made $2. And today I want to make five, like, you know, it's just it's short term strategy. What you should be doing is being totally UX focused at the beginning and totally focused on your content and how you're adding value. So that is, and that, that actually is a, that's a, a strategy that um, publishers have used, some of whom, uh, one publisher, I won't say who, but um, they're up in the 60, 70 million visits a month and very ad light. And it's part of their philosophy and, and you know, uh, looking at their success, you can see the reason that they've they've got to that level is and it's all organic is because they have put so much emphasis on the quality of what they do and the user and giving just giving 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 and that is the key and nobody wants to hear that obviously um but there is a time where you can say well this page has got a naturally high bounce rate putting a couple of ads on this page is not going to change the bounce rate at all or an ad and testing and that's the and that those are the discussions that i've been having with those guys which is that they're kind of a little bit gun shy and then you've got the really really small guys who are unsuccessful on the traffic but are massively over the top on ads so it's sort of this yin and yang and you've got to you've really got to find a way through that um that fits the site so if you've got very uh high levels of engagement so long time on site low bounce rate high number of page views per visit, you don't want to be putting too many ads um, on the first pages of those, um, you know, sessions, you've got to string it out, you've got to make sure that you're keeping the user happy all the way through. And of course, that's what Google's keeps going on about nobody wants to really hear about they want to hear about the secret source and how you can kind of get up the rankings quickly. But yeah, if you focus on uh, that, that's a really obvious one to me. And, and it's a, like I said, it's an unconscious strategy for some people. Um, conscious for others, but it, it is something to bear in mind. If you're not getting the revenue results that you would like, and uh, you know we're not on this podcast to keep going on about Ezoic, but try calming down your ads. Try um, just spending much more time thinking about the users and the content, and not putting so much emphasis on the ads. I think what's interesting about one of the things you just mentioned, and it's kind of like 
you mentioned the strategy overall. I think you look at an overarching strategy like um, I'm going to give, give, give to my audience and be very light on ads, especially in the beginning. And then maybe even, you know, you talked about a site that potentially had, you know, 60, 70 million, especially when you grow with that, with that type of philosophy, you still think to yourself, I'm going to be very true to my users, et cetera. Uh, I mean, we, we can look at Reddit now. They're, they're experimenting a little bit with pro programmatic ads right now, you know, hundreds of millions of visitors a month. Um, but they, they're very sensitive to the idea of ads because their users are probably going to be very sensitive to those things as well. But you mentioned this, this idea of, you know, really looking at your pages and knowing when and where and using data basically to decide like, when should you be, you know, if you have a page with a really, really high bounce rate or something like that, like that's a page that you can potentially experiment with a lot of ads because people are already leaving it quite often anyways. And so using data to, to drive these decisions is really that next step that if you really want to, if you want to, if you want to maximize both user experience and revenue from your site, especially as it grows and your strategy is to not overload people with ads, it's to use that data. That's step two. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and to be, to get to a point where you've got this statistically relevant data that will actually be meaningful. So, Again, as this, you know, the small site owner wanting to run before they can walk, they've got, you know, 10,000 visits uh, a day and all of a sudden they want to do, you know, a ton of experiments, but they don't want to wait around and see the results of these uh, for it to get to a point where, you know, there's a there's a, an actual result that you can use. They want an instant result. And I, I think a lot of this is to do with patience and the most successful independent businesses um, that I talk to, and in fact, even the bigger um, publishing groups that we're kind of starting to talk to, the more successful ones, uh, I've got this long view, this long, long view, which that is a, that is a strategy as well. You know? Yeah, and I think, you know, we, we kind of talked about, you know, the strategies that publishers start with. I think one of the things that's really interesting about that is, you know, we talked about in the very beginning, this idea of people being kind of accidentally successful. And I think one of the big reasons why you see this so often is, um, you know, and it's not, not, not to take away from any sites that have built themselves up from scratch and say, oh, it's an accident or whatever. But what you have a lot of times is, is people that start websites that are very passionate about a certain subject and they don't necessarily start with the intention of, I'm going to use this website to make money in some cases. Um, or if they are, it's, it's still the altruistic principle of sharing information is kind of their, their governing spot. And what happens is over time, they become these like dominant entities for a certain long tail subject. Like, you know, you dominate the world of uh, sandboxes. You're just a sandbox enthusiast. You build them, you play with them, you love them. And so everything related to sandbox on the internet, uh, any search related to it whatsoever, your site comes up, you know, in the top 10. And over time, you see that this really kind of builds up strongly. And so a lot of these sites that are that are kind of came out of nowhere and have kind of, you know, you've got these site owners that have grown sites from scratch to, you know, millions of user, users a month. Um, a lot of, in a lot of cases, they're just these super subject matter experts because they've, you know, just had a passion for writing about a certain subject over time. Yeah. And so they become you know, the authority in their, in their own niche, just because that's what they, that's what they did. So uh, actually one of them, uh, and the reason I was having a look at the site title was you were doing your um, SEO analysis on some of the sites that have been uh, using our system for a long time. And I was thinking, wow, to become 
you know, the, the top um, return for, this is uh, simplypsychology.org. It's um, uh, actually Google used them as a uh, spotlight um, example yeah, site. AdSense case study, uh, yeah. For the AdSense case study. Uh, so it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's one that people know quite a bit about. But uh, I think one of his top keywords is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And he obviously didn't go out there and said, right, I'm going to, I'm going to come up top for a lot of these keywords. He just started writing about his specialized subject, which is psychology. And his, he's a professor of psychology at Manchester University. And he just went, right, let's just start putting everything out there. And obviously putting, effectively writing a textbook online. Uh, and, you know, obviously the proof now is in the quality of what he's written is that he's the authority on the internet for a lot of those, those specialized keywords. Yeah, it's really interesting. In a lot of these cases, what you see is um, you, you see people that very intentionally try to grow sites quickly that go after keywords. They start with high volume and they may spread it out over a certain subject. And sometimes like that can be a real hit or miss strategy because if, you, if you're not able to provide the value of the content that will provide you with, uh, <laughs> I think we should. I think you should leave it in. One of John's children uh, uh, was sneaking in behind him, and so I can see on your webcam. I could see him <laughs> behind you and realizing what was going on, and kind of sneak back out of the room. Oh, I should put but a it, sign up. <laughs> but anyways, I think what you see a lot of times is that hit or miss strategy of not of of going after keywords sometimes can can kind of bite you. But if you're really kind of dominating a certain subject that you have an expertise in, or have a writer that's an expertise in. Um, a lot of times that can be a, a more sure-fired strategy long-term because you're able to really dominate a certain subject. I'll, I'll use an example from my world. There's a buddy of mine. Uh, he, uh, he, he's kind of a, like a jiu-jitsu historian, I would say. Like he, he's kept track of who's won every competition for years and years, the profiles of uh, where guys got their black belts, how they got them, their stories, all this kind of stuff. And he kind of created this website kind of in an altruistic manner a long time ago. Um, uh, basically because he wanted to just provide this as a service to the jiu-jitsu community. It didn't exist anywhere. He was afraid that the history and the lineages would get lost. And uh, now it's one of the largest sites uh, on the topic of jiu-jitsu in the world, which you would think, hey, that's probably a really small niche, but it's millions of visitors a month because yeah. he, pretty much everything related to jiu-jitsu, it's, it's in that. Like you said, you know, it's, it's a virtual encyclopedia for the subject. Yeah, and you've You've hit actually on one of the strategies that I I'd written down here, which is uh, the idea of evergreen content. So that's a, a super, a very good example of evergreen, which is um, something that people are going to be searching for in five years time that they're searching for today and that they're also searching for five years ago. And actually, if you think about it, if you've got this um, authority, when and and I'm going to say when here, when uh, voice-activated search engines take over from the the typed ones. Do you like that? I said when. <laughs> um, just makes everybody feel really upset. Uh, but it, it it's not too much of a stretch just to ask, um, you know, whatever digital assistant you have. That evergreen content is still going to be translating forward into these other mediums, so audio, for example. Um, so evergreen is, is, a, is a good strategy. And I think a lot of people are, have fallen into that unconsciously and just said, okay, I have, I, I have to write about this. This is, my, this is my passion, whatever it might be. 
uh, my kids, it's funny because Evie came in, um, my kids are uh, big into uh, watching uh, YouTube and a lot of the video bloggers that are out there are just regular guys who just video stuff that they do because yeah. they like it and they become amazingly successful. Um, it's a shame that we, you know, we obviously we don't work in that area, but uh, it, it's it's fantastic to see this sort of natural success that comes from people just doing what they enjoy and yeah. sharing it, and particularly that kind of teen and preteen uh, age group of kids at the moment. That's what they prefer doing. They don't watch much TV. They watch people sharing all kinds of crazy life hacks and. Uh, it's funny you uh, mentioned that. So I, I found this out over uh, the holiday break. I have a a cousin. It's a it's a eight year old, nine year old cousin, and he actually does those um, like unboxing toy reviews on YouTube. And it's he's insanely successful. And his parents are taking all the money and they're putting it into like a college fund for him. But it's really funny because he's basically the same thing. He's kind of he's kind of an interesting kid. He likes to talk a whole bunch, and he kind of just does his thing. And he started doing it for all his friends. And next thing he knew, he said one day he checked out his YouTube page and had you know tens of thousands of visitors. And so he started doing it every day because he liked doing it. And I think that that's one of the things that kind of comes across. And um, you make your you make your users feel like um, a part of something, or you make them feel like the hero and everything. Because what's happening is is they're experiencing a lot of these things with you. And a lot of times when you ha you're knowledgeable about a certain subject, whether it's jiu-jitsu or toys or sandboxes or whatever it is, there's something about somebody that's passionate about something that rings true, that seems authentic and genuine. And I think a lot of times when it comes to content, there's so much content on the internet now. Um, when you see something that feels like it's manufactured uh, or it comes from somebody that, I mean, you can almost tell the difference between somebody that has written something because they're really trying to provide value to somebody and somebody that has written something because they're trying to produce content that produces views. You know what I mean? Yes, that's right. And and actually, Google internally have a, and I don't, I don't think this is a secret, but um, they have a, a, a term for this, which is called made for AdSense. So sites that are generated deliberately just to be, make money from AdSense. And that's that's a, that's a pejorative term. Like it's a bad thing because they don't they don't want people doing that. They want people to be producing content, not for the money that they get, but just produce the content. Now, obviously, everybody has to, you know, pay their bills, and the, uh, we're all in this industry because obviously we're providing a fantastic need, um, and you know, content being free is. It, it seems to me to be uh, the way it's going to be for a very long time. I mean, there's a lot of discussion, particularly with big publishing groups, about the, the idea of subscriptions and pushing subscriptions, um, you know, help support this title, sign up today for a cup of coffee's worth, you know, you're going to help keep everything going. Um, and if, if you have a loyal enough audience, it, it will actually work. Um, but you have to do it in a in a very gentle and you you have to do what you what you were just outlining which is you have to feel which way the wind is blowing with your audience if you're trying to get them to subscribe to something that they're not emotionally connected with there's no way it's going to happen yeah i'm going to pick on two big people for ex for kind of an example of that i think you know you look at um if you look uh a, a podcast i really i like to listen to is radio lab um 
you know, they, they do a lot of their stuff based on people that are contributing it's because they have a great show about science and about all these interesting stories and things like that. And so the people that listen to it, um, they feel like a part of a community. They even did a show here recently where they had after users had donated or think uh, and things like that, where they actually called in and they asked them, you know, what, what is it that you like about the show? Why did you decide to donate to the show? You know, why did you, why do you participate in this stuff? And, you know, people kind of tell their stories. They feel like they're a part of it. Um, Wikipedia is kind of the same thing. It's this, you know, users have kind of generated a lot of the information over time. It's a hugely su successful and hugely uh, helpful site for a lot of people. And they, they run, you know, 100% off of donations. I mean, you see their big, nasty, I, I, I hate the way that all those donation things look on their site. I just think they do such a poor job with it, but that's how they generate the finance of their site. Takes, take somebody different, someone like maybe Buzzfeed or something like that. If, if Buzzfeed tried the same strategy as Wikipedia, I would, I would assume that they would be far less successful because it's just the way that they treat their audience is much different. It's not to say one is wrong or right, but we're saying that if the strategy is to generate income from subscriptions, if you're more like a Wikipedia or Radio Lab or some kind of site that is in a niche where you really engage your users, where they feel like they're a hero or they're a participant in your content, then it's more likely that subscription-based, you know, strategy is going to work. Yeah, they, yeah, the emotional ties have got to be strong, and uh, I'm thinking right now about the uh, News Corporation, obviously New, News Corp sites, and when they years ago put up their payment wall. Uh, the payment wall was uh, really to stop. I mean, uh, obviously, index uh, Google indexes news, and and if you type in a news story, um, quite often you'll you'll see things you know right at the top uh, of of Google. And what the the guys, the execs at, at News Corp said was, hey, we're not happy with this content getting effectively scraped onto Google, and then you know, but not acknowledging that that's how they were getting a lot of their visitors to their sites. So they said, we're going to put up a payment wall and people were, they can only read the stories if they subscribe. Did it work? No, it didn't. Because news is a commodity now and we don't expect to have to pay for news. Yeah. Um, but I would expect to pay maybe for, um, you know, access to some content that I, I find personally very, very valuable. So, you know, let's say a recipe niche. Um, maybe I would pay. Actually, I wouldn't. Thinking about it, I probably wouldn't. Recipes might be along the same lines as news, but that, I, I, I can't think of a really fantastic example, but um, I think overall people have the expectation of free content, um, like right now. Yeah, and I think where you where you kind of see a, that kind of diverge a little bit is you do see some people being able to sell things like eBooks and guides and things like that on their site, but in a lot of these cases, they are the content that's gonna be included in those things types of things is very, very in-depth, very specialized, kind of only place you could get it is this place or this person, et cetera. And even then, uh, in a lot of those cases, those sites are not generating 100% of their income from those types of things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, in, in terms of those kind of uh, strategies, uh, the, the one that I hear, well, I certainly hear you getting asked most about is, you know, SEO strategies. and. Um, I, I think SEO has changed so much over the years that it is almost a non kind of discipline anymore. I mean, I, I understand that it's a discipline, but it's not in its own right. I mean, you used to have uh, huge agencies um, supporting uh, 
yeah. methodologies that have then were proven to be damaging to sites later on. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you want to have a little? I, I, I don't want to throw you under the bus here, Tyler. Yeah, no, I, I, can, <laughs> like, I can do yeah. two things. I can kind of give people a quick lay of the land of some things, but it's not going to be stuff that you've just heard from me. It's some, something that you hear out there in, in the industry quite a bit. And then I can share some information on the study that we just did um, and kind of go from there. So one of the big things is, you know, you mentioned kind of like previous strategies. Like there's really one good way to think about SEO right now, and that is using using particular points of data, educating yourself around what kind of data is most important, and then using that information to basically improve the quality of the content on your site. Um, and you may say to yourself, well, I think that I already have quality, quality content, and that's probably true. The thing is, is that there's information that you can collect, and we've talked about it on here before, it's on our blog, um, that you can use to basically figure out how you can augment that content in a way that is going to allow you to rank uh, for more keywords, to rank higher, um, and those sorts of things. There's still technical things um, related to your site that you can do to improve it, uh, but they all still come back to the user. I mean, it's things like uh, HTTPS, which gives your users more, a more secure experience, uh, things like things that improve the way, the, the way that your site operates from an infrastructure standpoint, things like CDNs, um, and the way that your code is structured so that, you know, your site moves faster, uh, again, for the users. Um, uh, you know, you could argue that AMP is one of those things, even though Google d denies it vehemently, which is funny. I, I saw somebody quote something really interesting about uh, Google the other day, and it was, you know, Google says a lot of things about SEO, and I always take a fair amount of what they stu uh, stuff that they say as truth, but there is, there is things about the way that Google's search algorithm is designed and then the way that it actually works. And so Google, when they talk about things as it relates to SEO, they're going to tell you the way that things are designed if they're ever going to tell you anything at all. Um, but they're not necessarily going to do a whole lot in telling you how things work and that's where you really have to go out and you have to look at things. And so we, uh, we just did a study on a bunch of sites that actually use our system, John. So mm -hmm. one of the really interesting things about our system that we've, we've known for a while is because the way that our artificial intelligence platform works, and we don't talk about it a whole bunch, I'm only talking about it for the sake of the study, um, is that it, it optimizes not only for things like uh, for things like revenue, but it also optimizes for things like bounce rate, page views per visit, and, uh, and session duration. And so it's looking at all those things and trying to always optimize pages so that it improves those metrics. And so those are really, really important factors in search. And so um, what we've seen, obviously, with a lot of sites is they experience huge booms in search traffic and search keywords whenever they implement the system. Um, mm. What I thought was really, really interesting about it, and this is something that everybody can take take away from this, is uh, there was one site in particular that I was looking at, and they experienced like, just a huge dramatic uplift in search over in a short period of time, and mainly what was happening was they had a, a fair amount of evergreen content, and this evergreen content had a pretty steady amount of traffic for for years and months. It was getting about the same amount of traffic, maybe growing a little bit, but still diving down sometimes, but it was very, very steady. And so they started using our platform basically to test and optimize their ads. And in doing so, they were actually able to cut bounce rate just a little bit, increase time on site just a little bit, and increase page views per visit just a little bit. And in all these cases, we're talking about less than 10% improvements, but still nonetheless, about seven to 10% improvements in all of those metrics. And all of a sudden you see this linear progression upward and the keywords, where they ranked and their traffic. And so one of the things that I think is really important to think about here is 
you know, we talked about this before, using data to improve and augment and add to your content on your site, you know, security stuff, page speed stuff, all really important. But at the end of the day, all those things are basically trying to improve the experience for your user in a way that makes them want to stay on your site longer, visit more pages, and um, less likely to go someplace else um, yeah. for, for additional content. And what we've learned from this study is that you actually don't have to, you don't have to change the world with these metrics. You, you can make very small progress and you can see really big results. Yeah, it's, it, it's something because obviously we've been in our little bubble for a long time that we've seen this correlation and we'd never set up our stall for being an SEO you know, company or, or giving any SEO sort of benefit, but it's, it's so consistent now over so many years, uh, you know, it's over, you know, we've had sites in the, in the platform for over four and a half, five years now. And they, you know, some of them are like five X um, traffic. And it is obviously not just that, um, although we can say with certainty that it, there is an element of this because we have, uh, all of those sites that we bought at the, at the very beginning, which has some of them we haven't even changed the content on and they're still doing very well for traffic, yeah. which is kind of an unusual um, situation to you know buy a site and then not to do anything on the content for like years. It, it is a kind of a good control, you know, experimental yeah. control for our system. Um, but, you know, when when you're um, when you're looking at, um, you know, SEO as a uh, as a thing, what do you, uh, when you're going out there to try and get the news and, and so on, what sort of sites do you look at? Uh, so there's a couple, I mean, there's a, there's a handful of places that I, I, I really like. I actually, one of the things I think is most beneficial is if you're a Twitter user, I think you can do yourself a lot of favors by following, um, uh, hey, I'll give you a couple people to follow here in a minute, but if you follow some of these folks on Twitter, what you'll find is uh, they start having kind of impromptu conversations and they'll share stuff that's really interesting. There was this, uh, uh, Rand Fishkin, who is the founder of, of Moz, is a really good person to follow. Larry Kim, uh, the, fa uh, the CTO and founder of WordStream, is really good to follow. Um, Gary Ills from, uh, from the Google search team is a really good person to follow. And then if you just kind of look to see who they, oh, uh, there's a guy who goes by at Rusty Brick on there. He's a reporter for this uh, searchengineland.com and uh, search engine journal. He's really good to follow for like up-to-date news. Um, all, all, if you pay attention to the conversations that they have, you'll find other people that, that they communicate with regularly that are always sharing data and information. So a lot of these guys are uh, reporters or they're you know, representatives of major search companies. And you'll have people from agencies that'll say, they'll, they'll post data. They'll say, hey, look, we've got 100 sites and they're experiencing X. You know, do you have a reason for this? And then you'll see kind of the conversation back and forth and you'll watch live Basically, people peel back the layers in the onion and figure out what's going on right there in real time. I, I watched this happen yesterday, participated in a conversation with uh, Rand Fishkin and a couple other people. They were talking about uh, basically people that had moved their blog off of a subdomain onto their main domain, so blog.whatever.com versus whatever.com slash blog. And they said that, you know, there's this multiple people said, well, when we moved it off the subdomain to the regular domain, we saw increases in search. And so they basically all went backwards through, you know, is this a thing moving a blog off a subdomain to your regular site? Is this something that by itself, standalone in a vacuum is going to improve your organic results? Or is it maybe that 
when people do that, it's connected to all these other factors. And the truth is, is like when you when you finally get done reading the thread, you say it might play a small role, but it's actually risky. So it's like you, yeah. if you're an expert in SEO, and this is something that you, and you're always trying to look to to get an edge, and you want to do this process right, it could make a small difference for you. Now that is like a small, like very niched amount of information that I got to learn right there. So next time somebody asks, should I have my blog in a subdomain or whatever, and you're setting up, I'm say, hey, don't put it on a subdomain to start with. But if you ask me if you should move it, my answer is going to be, unless you know exactly what you're doing, you want to de dedicate the time to doing it. It might, it's probably not worth it, and it could be a little yeah. bit risky. And so it's yeah, just yeah. interesting the kind of knowledge you you develop by following these conversations on Twitter. Yeah, yeah and it, you, you came out with something for me, for me which, which was, was, I'm getting a bit of feedback here, um, which was to do with um, pop-ups and, and interstitials on sites where, you know, previously, um, let's say, for example, people have got a pop-up that's attracting people to sign up for a, a newsletter or, um, you know, heaven forbid that they put an ad, you know, pop-up ad. Uh, on mobile that is hard to get rid of. These things are obviously going to be having a, a, a negative effect on user experience. Um, but I heard, uh, well, just before we started the show uh, from you about this, uh, I think Google are taking action, aren't they? Yeah, so they announced it a while back, but uh, for you guys that don't know, an interstitial is basically like something that takes up the majority of a viewport and desktop mobile and something that Google considers annoying. Um, you can read, a, if you search Google interstitial, you're going to see a thousand news sites reporting on this right now. So they've rolled it out live. And I'm a little nervous to talk about it to a certain extent because um, I've seen uh, now on a couple sites where um, there's something that, that people should probably be aware of where Google really talks about this from an ad perspective. They don't want annoying ads popping up. But if you're using you know, different types of pop-ups on your site now, it's possible you're getting caught in the catch-all. And so I would just say if you utilize pop-ups on your site right now, pay very close attention to your search results and your search traffic over the next couple of weeks. Um, and if you're noticing some unusual behavior, it may be your pop-up if it's nothing else because um, I think one of the things that's really interesting when I started reading more in depth about this this morning, Google doesn't ever really say it's just for ads and there's nothing about their... I mean, you could probably tell the you could easily tell the difference between an ad and, and something that's not an ad. But from Google's perspective, if it's all about UX, um, I could see them saying, "Well, we don't care if it's an ad or you know an external ad or an ad for your newsletter or whatever it is. Um, it's potentially damaging from a penalty standpoint on your site." Yeah, it's it's gonna there's gonna be some some element of um, uh, detection that they use to be able to see if there is anything coming up and you don't know what that is you know you just don't know i, I was talking to some guys in india got a very successful site uh, with a lot of worldwide traffic uh, but they get a lot of traffic in india and the ad rates in india are, are pretty are pretty low generally from ad exchanges and ad networks so they do a lot of their direct uh, campaigns themselves you know to directly to indian advertisers and they use uh, interstitials, basically pop-ups on mobile. And I was kind of like, oh, wow. Uh, well, what sort of percentage uh, of revenue are you getting from that in, in the local area? And it was, a, it was a reasonable, just in that one geo, they were having to do that because they couldn't make money in another way. It's just because I, I, I think that the ecosystem isn't as uh, mature as it is in the rest of the world. Um, and also the value per head 
uh, for example, in India, is going to be a lot lower than it is anywhere else because um, e-commerce is not uh, as prevalent. You know, the idea of clicking on something, showing your credit card, and actually having something arrive—that's not as mature as a as a as an ecosystem as it is in the rest of the world. Um, and I will mention but, this too: is like uh, something you can do if you're if you're like freaking out about this right now. I know it still hurts you to a certain extent, but one of the things that Google appears to be most concerned about is this experience on mobile. So you could always just alter your pop-up to begin with if you're having some bad results with turning it off on mobile and keeping it alive on desktop. Yeah, and it, and it kind of brings us back to our sort of central theme about strategies and that, that you know, you may have got, um, you know, a, addicted to that revenue stream because obviously interrupting ads, which are totally in your face like pop-ups, um, they work well for advertisers. There's no two ways about it because you are looking, you're engaged, you're here for a reason, and then boom. Now, we know that the effect on, on bounce rate for a lot of people is going to be, okay, I've got to get out of here. But if that is the way, if that's a strategy that you've adopted in order to make money in a particular market, getting off that is also going to be tough. So um, thinking long-term and thinking, well, is this sustainable very long-term? The guiding principle has got to be, is this, is this going to help or harm my user experience? And that has got to be the guiding principle all the way through. Revenue or no revenue, you won't have a site if you keep hammering your users with, with too many ads. So that was, um, yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of interesting that uh, actually Google are coming out with an algorithm update or ranking um, weighting uh, for interstitials. Yeah, they're calling it a penalty. It's penalty. funny. It's been funny. I had this conversation with somebody the other day about the difference between like what Google considers a boost and a penalty. You know, they're essentially the same thing. You know, uh, you think about uh, I'll use HTTPS as an example. So having an SSL on your site, you know, it's a it's a confirmed uh, rankings boost. If a site is uh, has an SSL and it's implemented properly on their site, uh, they get a rankings boost. But you could also look at that and say it's a penalty for all sites that are not HTTPS, right? Yes. Yeah, it is. And don't forget that your penalty is someone else's boost. Yeah. So that traffic's going somewhere. People are still searching for that keyword. It's just you didn't get them anymore. Someone yeah. else got them. So, so bear this in mind, folks. <laughs> uh, this has turned more into an SEO show than I was expecting. But it is. It, it, everybody's implementing strategies. It, I think it's just being cognizant of the ones that you, um, you're deliberately implementing and actually the ones that you're accidentally implementing as well. One of, the, one of the things that's kind of interesting to kind of get us off the topic of SEO a little bit is um, there's a strategy that you see a lot in the B2B world that I think is really underutilized among um, regular online publishers and, and sites, and that is uh, email marketing. And I think one of the things that, that people think about when they think of email marketing is they think of it more as like a business-to-business -business type of interaction. And it certainly can be, but... Uh, I think one of the things that people underestimate is the power of collecting an email list and things like that through your site. If they're already there anyways, there's all these different ways that you can kind of build into your content or build into your site to collect people's information. Think about this, especially if you're a site with lots of returning uh, visitors, you know, you're relying on those visitors to via your social media or just because of your brand to find their way back to your content. Right, your ranking. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and the truth is, is if you have good content that your regular uh, users, you know, you want them all to come read so you maintain and grow that traffic, 
Um, one of the best things for you to do is to notify them via their email that you have new content on, content up on your site. And I don't mean spam them, but especially if you're a site that has an, a niche and you have a lot of returning visitors, you should collect those emails and hit them once a week or bi-weekly or even monthly with your most up-to-date newest content and drive those people back to your site. And I think what you'll find is you can get those new posts and things like that that you have to rank higher from a search standpoint, again, back to SEO because of that activity on that page. But also that you're gonna be driving your best users back to your page. Um, those people that are regular on your site, they're more likely to visit multiple pages, all the things that are really great for you. Um, so yeah, I think email marketing is an underrated strategy that some people aren't taking advantage of right now. Oh, it's huge. And actually the quality of the traffic that you get from opted in uh, email visitors is as good as organic search. And that's been proven time and time again in terms of uh, the uh, intent that you get from people who are coming from an opted in list is really high. And so you can, you, you know, I think everybody knows that you start anything with a thousand loyal fans, you know, that's how you sort of begin a business or a site or anything. Um, if you've got a hundred thousand opted in fans, have them uh, have them thank you had, had you know try and engage with them and uh I, I was reminded this the other day because i was invited to a whatsapp group um from by a friend of mine who's uh we're doing the london marathon this year and we're sharing our kind of training stories you know how far we ran whether it was tough you know all of that kind of stuff um and it's these kind of tips and sharing because you're uh, you're making yourself very slightly vulnerable, aren't you? Saying, "Oh, I did this, or this was tough, or whatever." If you're, uh, if you as a content producer are being totally honest with whatever it is that you are, and genuine, then put it out there in an email newsletter, as well as on your site, as well as on your blog, you know. And then that's gonna that engagement, those ties are going to um, stabilize your traffic and to, um, you know basically make it make everything more stable because then you're not just dependent on your ranking you're dependent on you know the you've got that kind of backstop of being able to boost your traffic almost anytime you like and yeah. actually if you want it if you want to talk about a strategy sending out a lot more emails in the run-up to the holiday season uh, in November and December to try and boost your traffic during those periods just to get more eyeballs that's a good one for next year folks you know uh, there's nothing wrong with having more direct visitors during that uh, time time frame, and if if you're producing a lot of really good content during that time, the value of those visitors during that time to advertisers is about 25% more than normal. So that's yeah. a good tactic. Absolutely. Well, John, my uh, my laptop is actually running out of battery right now, so I think that that's a good indication that we've been doing our podcast for our our recommended length. So. Um, I think that this has been really good. We shared a lot of things that I think are uh, are like kind of in different modes. So no matter if you're a small publisher, large publisher, uh, what your orientation is in terms of the information that you want to send to people um, or try to you know capture people through your site, I think there's a lot of really good information here that you can unpack. Yeah, and these are fundamentals that don't change, um, and that's I, I think that's um, when you take a big step back and remember why we're all doing this. It it really is. Um, is keeping um, is keeping true to the the reason that you've started getting into publishing for at the at the beginning without getting all too misty eyed about it. That's uh, that's definitely the case. Uh, people will appreciate you um, if you are uh, keeping their interests at uh, at the centre of whatever you're doing.
day to day. Speaking of keeping interest at heart, hopefully you guys are enjoying the podcast. We've certainly grown quite a bit. We appreciate all of your support and all all, all of the loyal loyal listenership. Um, if you could, please go on iTunes and write us a review. It'll continue to help us reach more and more people. It allows us to invest more into this podcast and do more and more uh, free information. It allows us to do things like SEO studies and share information like that with you guys. So please uh, continue to write great reviews for the site um, and ask us questions. You can email me at tbishop at azoic.com or you can hit us up on Twitter at, at azoic. Uh, John and I will both see those, those types of things and we will continue to provide answers to your questions here live on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks very much for being Thanks, guys. Have a good one.